Bonsoir. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another Wednesday edition of Sports Conversation. I'm Don Henderson. We've got a great group of guests joining us this evening on Sports Conversation. We'll go all around the country. Uh, our executive producer, as always, Frank Carroll. 
for World of Roy Cummings down in uh, Tampa, Florida. Roger Hendler has now moved from Atlanta to Philadelphia back to his home grounds. Ray Dinninger, one of the great Hall of Fame writers, TV broadcasters, and people in the business of pro football. We've got a great lineup to speak with you tonight. And let's, before we do that, uh, let's go to Frank Carroll because we just concluded a 4th of July weekend, which was very, very important to a nation like the United States of America. Thank you, Don. Uh, tonight's program, we want to dedicate it. It's a dual dedication. One is, for those of you who don't know, the reason we were off last week was uh, because Don fell and uh, broke his hip, and we wanted to uh, just take the time to honor him and not come back on until we had our, uh, our, our leader with us. The other one is uh, my wife, Sharon, fell and also broke her hip uh, um, this slip on Monday morning. Uh, so that's those two. But the most important day of the year is 1776. It's not really the date that everything was signed, but it, it gets pretty close. This program is dedicated to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces, the men and women of police and fire services, each and every week, each and every program. We are very, very, very happy to, to uh, dedicate this program to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces who have gone before us and to those wonderful people in the Gold Star families who lost a member of the family. Um, for, we are forever in your debt. You know, I always hear freedom, freedom, freedom. Well, yes, there, this, we, are, we do live free, but freedom is not free. And it's cost us a lot of lives over the years, whether it's the Civil War, whether it was the, the um, British uh, Continental War, whether it was the Korean War the, or the uh, uh, Vietnam War. They were all wars, and nobody really won. I don't care who signed what, who did what. Nobody won because we lost so many people. Uh, so this program is dedicated to those who've lost their lives. No question about it, Frank, and a lot of dedication right there to be very, very sure. Let's get down to Tampa, Florida right now where our chief correspondent over there is Roy Cummings. And Roy, uh, talking about injuries at the top of the show, the California Angels can't seem to fly away away from getting people hurt, and uh, they came up with two more last night. Yeah, boy, really, uh, I mean, for look, for any baseball fan, um, it's really just horribly disappointing to see, you know, uh, Trout and uh, Otani go down, uh, you know, back-to-back games, really. Otani was a, just a blister. He'll probably be back. He'll probably be fine. But, you know, Trout, once again, looking at a long-term layoff here, and um, that really hurts. And, boy, this team just cannot seem to, to stay healthy. I mean, they've lost Brandon Drury now. Um, you know, Anthony Rendon is in and out of the lineup, it seems. Uh, when he's in the lineup, he's not all that productive, certainly not as productive as the, the contract would suggest he should be. Um, but, you know, Trout's a big part of that, obviously, and, and to not have him, you know, especially when they, you know, they moved Brandon Marsh uh, a year ago at the trade deadline. He's in Philadelphia now. And so, you know, the outfield depth isn't quite what it used to be there. They used to have, you know, really any number of options to, to kind of turn to there. Uh, Taylor Ward they had, and, uh, you know, Joey Adele and, that, you know, guys like that. They still have a couple of those guys. But, you know, you lose Mike Trout, and let's face it, that's that's a big hit for any team. Um, you know, still arguably one of the top, top five, ten best players in the game and uh, and certainly a threat. And, you know, 
the Angels were finally doing what, you know, a lot of people have been expecting them to do for years now, which is contend. They were right there. I mean, they're in a playoff spot. And, uh, and Otani and Trout are uh, two of the biggest reasons why. Um, you know, beyond that, beyond Otani, the pitching staff is really kind of just average. It's adequate. Um, and beyond Trout, uh, you know, again, as, as I mentioned with Anthony Rendon, it's, you know, the offense is kind of just at average. It's not special. So those are the two key guys. You know, we'll have to see what happens here if they can keep things going. But, uh, yeah, a real tough blow to any baseball fan. I mean, look, if if you can handle it, if you can do it, staying up late at night to watch uh, Otani pitch uh, or just or just hit or anything, do, uh, watch him do anything is, is special. I mean, who who among us, and I think I've said this before, who among us would not relish the opportunity to, to watch uh, Babe Ruth play, to watch Ty Cobb play. Um, you know, I was fortunate to see Willie Mays uh, in, in his, uh, you know, late in his career, but but I missed most of uh, uh, Mickey Mantle and, you know, certainly Ted Williams and, and, and Joe DiMaggio. So uh, to, to see players of that caliber um, take advantage of that opportunity and and now uh, that event, that opportunity has been taken away from us, at least for Mike Trout again and Otani maybe for a couple of starts or two. Roger, uh, the case of Otani is exactly right, as Roy said. Uh, it's a blister, supposedly, uh, which will keep him from starting, but yet he will be able to play. However, when it comes to Trout, that's a different story. Uh, the hammock bone is a very, very suspect injury as to how long it takes to heal and how quickly you can get back and play. Well, that's very true, and I agree with uh, Roy's statement because I've been tracking, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the Angels, and they are there. You know, they're finally, uh, they finally seem to uh, have it together, and then uh, these injuries uh, come. But I did see that uh, the uh, Tony's going to uh, uh, play in the All Star game um, as a uh, hitter, uh, obviously uh, not pitch. But uh, it is. I mean, it seems like they just uh, when they they finally get things going, they get hit with the uh, the injury uh, plague, and uh, it couldn't happen to uh, a worse couldn't be a worse situation than with Mike Trout because you're you're right, Roy. He is uh, definitely in the top ten, probably in the top five, and especially when he's at, at peak performance when he's not injured or recovering from an injury and i was just i'm looking at the uh the rays are up four three over the phillies uh and the uh in that um game I'm, you look at uh, trey uh turner and i mean he just uh uh does not is having all kinds of problems being consistent and it'll be interesting to see in his case with that big contract uh whether he can recover in the second half after the all-star game and produce what was expected from him. But you're, and uh, you know, it's, it's an interesting season. Uh, the Braves seem to be the cream of the crop in, in the, at least in the national league. And uh, you know, I don't know what you fellows think about it or not, but they seem to just be very consistent and I don't think anybody's going to stop them. Roy, we touched on it last week. You in particular, and that was the team to watch. From a real fun standpoint, from a fan standpoint, the Cincinnati Reds. But also, even though Roger said the Phils are down by a run four to three right now, uh, against the Rays, at the same time, uh, they've won 10 games in a row. 13 in a row is their record. 
they have turned it around. They have become competitive. Uh, they're going to be in the hunt somewhere on the line. Doesn't make any difference where you wind up as long as you get into the playoffs. They proved that last year, and there are two teams that have a shot to do it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, look, the Rays have been, you know, the class of the league uh, uh, all season long, and uh, you know they're they're uh, they continue to play at a high level. And uh, but the Reds are, um, boy, the Reds just got they got some star power right now. <clears throat> I mean, I, I, who doesn't want to watch Ellie De La Cruz play? Um, Matt McLean, the young shortstop out of UCLA. I mean, there's another kid that uh, is exciting to watch just because he's a tremendous hitter. Um, uh, you've got Hunter Green, who, you know, is electrifying a pitcher as there is. He's been hurt, but uh, he'll be coming back soon here, I think. And, um, you know, it's just a very interesting uh, dynamic. All these young kids for uh, for the Reds, you know, at some point what usually happens is, those, you know, the, the league kind of comes back to those guys and uh, their feet end up back on the ground and uh, they'll have some struggles. But right now um, <laughs> they are they are leading the way and, and they have made the Reds one of the more interesting stories and, in all of baseball, and of course the the Rays have been one of the more interesting stories in baseball all year long. Um, you know, not a lot of star power, uh, as I've said before many times, on that Rays team. You'll see a couple of all stars. Um, they're going to send some guys to the game, but you know, they're not. You know, not even none of their players are anybody that you think about when you think about, you know, the stars of the game. Um, nobody thinks about Brandon Lau. Nobody thinks about Josh Lowe. Nobody thinks about Randy Orozarena. Really. Um, you know, it, it just it, it doesn't happen. About the closest you get is uh, uh, the, the pitcher, the left-hander, uh, McClanahan, and 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 you know he's he's as good as there is. Um, but still, it's uh, the Rays are a team kind of devoid of stars, yet uh, they know how to win consistently. They've been doing it for a long, long time at a, at a cheap rate, and it just amazes me that more teams don't uh, don't try to follow the model. Um, you know, I'm not saying everybody should have an $80 million payroll, but uh, at the end of the day, um, it, it, they, they are just, they're confounding some teams that uh, are spending, you know, north of $200 million on their, on their players and trying to figure out how to, how to win consistently. Well, I'm a bad guy to ask you about the home run derby. Rose Arena, of course, is going to be a big part of it this year as well. But uh, I, I'm not a home run derby fan, and, uh, but at the same time, uh, Major League Baseball is spending an awful lot of money in Seattle to uh, emphasize how great baseball is and how great the Home Run Derby is. Uh, Roger, I, I've never really talked to you about the Home Run Derby. Are you, are you a Home Run Derby fan or not? No, I'm not because I've listened to uh, players, <clears throat> excuse me, being interviewed, and uh, it gets their uh, their their whole normal swing out of kilter. Uh, and uh, then they start uh, warming up. I heard uh, they were talking about it on the uh, Phillies telecast that uh, one of the players was uh, trying it today. I don't know if it was for the Rays or the Phillies, uh, but taking that swing, and that's the worst thing you can do because history has proven that it just takes you uh, out of sync. And uh, I will, uh, Roy, I'll tell you, uh, your comments uh, really – uh, hit uh, well, uh, hit the uh, ball out of the park because they are a team of unknown players and they really play well. And you have to give uh, Cash a lot of credit as the manager. But uh, it's interesting. Uh, Eflin's Eflin's signing was the most they've ever given to a free agent. Period. Uh, now you know they gave the the shortstop a long term contract and 
They were saying tonight that he had been disciplined by Cash, took it well and everything, but they just seem to be a team that is a team and uh, just really uh, plays well together. Yeah, the Rays, they, they have a unique approach, obviously. They're looking, uh, look, they, they know they can't afford big power hitters, and uh, they know they can't afford to pay usually for uh, top-end free agents. Um, you know, I'm a little surprised. Yeah, I mean, it's true. I'm not surprised by it. I mean, I know the fact that Zach Eflin's, uh, you know, the highest-paid pitcher they've ever had. But, you know, they had Charlie Morton a couple of years ago. He was uh, as solid as there is. They let him get away. Blake Snell's another one that they let him get away because they didn't want to – to pay the pay the guy, and Carl Crawford is a is a famous guy that uh, famous here in Tampa for for being let go and not held on to Evan Longoria, even though they probably got rid of Longoria at the right time. But um, you know, still there've been a lot of free agents the Rays have passed on retaining because uh, they didn't want to pay the price, and yet they go and get Zach Eflin and pay him you know more than what they would have paid Charlie Morton, who take your pick. I mean. I'm not, you know, personally, I would think I would take Charlie Morton over Zach Heflin, but probably not every day. Um, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's just, it's interesting. But what they, what the Rays do do better than anybody, it seems, is go out and find ball players, guys who play the, play the game and play different positions. Most everybody on their team can play one or two positions at least, if not three. Uh, and, and they're all, most of them are, are, are just good contact hitters. And, you know, you take uh, advantage of the power when it comes to you. You know, every every major leaguer just about is capable of hitting the ball out of the park. You make a mistake to that guy, and, uh, you know, and that comes from coaching and good at bats and uh, disciplined approaches. So um, the the Rays are, are kind of – I mean, I've always thought the baseball – baseball is a thinking man's game. And mm-hmm. I honestly believe that the Rays uh better than anybody. And I don't mean their players necessarily. I think their coaches, their, their, their scouts. Uh, the, you know, the analytics people, they think the game, I think, better than almost anybody, maybe to a fault in some cases. I, I know that Joe Madden was somewhat frustrated with some of the things that he was asked to do. Uh, I think Kevin Cash just kind of deals with it, puts up with it. Um, there's some, probably some things, you know, he'd rather do with his gut than with, uh, you know, with the ledger in front of him. But at the end of the day, it works. And um, and the Rays have figured out, you know, how to, to blend, uh, you know, baseball uh, history and, and and your gut feeling along with uh, the analytics and and make it all work and i'm just you know i'm surprised that more teams aren't following the model um as you see more teams kind of go away from or more coaches i should say leave the rays uh and, and go to other teams you may start to see it but they're going to have to become managers uh, as is the case in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's taking a little bit, you know, similar approach because they're not a big market. Uh, they're kind of taking it the same way. They're not really – they don't have any big stars, no power hitters. Uh, but for half a season here, it's, you know, or for almost half a season, it, it worked out pretty well for them. Um, they've got some pretty good young players who you're excited about. San Diego, I think, is – they're kind of a mix of both. But um, San Diego would probably be better off if they just didn't spend so much money on – on the hot free agent and just develop players like Hey Song Kim. I mean, there, there's a guy who's as good as anybody in the league. At, you know, and he can play two or three positions. And, you know, that's the kind of guy that the Rays look at. And uh, and it's working out for him. So, again, if more teams followed that, uh, you know, we wouldn't want everybody to be that way. But uh, there, there's, there's a way to succeed out there without spending $250 million. No question about it. All you got to do is look at the American East, Roger, and uh... – 
you know, you got uh, every team top to bottom, 500 or above, and uh, you know, <laughs> uh, they seem to be uh, the American League East right now seems to be in a, a very competitive uh, situation. Even though they've uh, lost the Yankees as a top contender, the Yankees, you know, they they're back on the on the right side of the ledger right now. But whether they'll be there two weeks from now, who knows? Well, that's a good point because uh, it is a, a, a very interesting division. And uh, just to follow up uh, on Roy mentioned Carl Crawford, uh, his son Justin is uh, already moving uh, rapidly through the Philly system. Uh, he was in Clearwater, and I think he's uh, now up at uh, over by Utah at uh, Lakewood. And uh, but he's going to be in that futures uh, game at the All Star game, which I guess would be uh, what a week from uh, Sunday. So uh, that's that's and they say uh, heard John Crook say uh, that he just reminds him of uh, Carl Crawford in in his play. He's only I think 20 years old, so he's uh, one of the top prospects uh, for the Phillies, and he'll probably be playing in the outfield in a couple of years. But uh, you're right. I mean, uh, it, it's interesting looking at the American League East and versus uh, when you look at the, the uh, Central uh, and and then you look uh, in, uh, in in the NL and, uh, you know, the Brewers, uh, they're there. But, uh, like, I think uh, long term, I think Cincinnati, Roy, like you said, I think the Reds are uh, the future in that division. Roy, it's been great to see uh, Baltimore, great to see Cincinnati, great to see teams that have been down. And you mentioned Pittsburgh as well. I don't think I'd quite put them in that category yet, but they are improving. They're a competitive team. And it looks right now that uh, baseball is starting to really build from the bottom up uh, rather than from the top down. Yeah, I think you're right. And, um, you know, uh, Oakland hasn't quite caught on to that, but, but you're right. Some of the teams that uh, were bottom feeders are figuring it out, and uh, and that's always good for baseball. I mean, if there's a, if there's a sport that um, we would like to see a little bit more parity, and I think it's uh, I definitely think it's it's Major League Baseball. I mean, we see we see it certainly in uh, in the NFL. We see it in the in the NHL. Uh, baseball, uh, boy, if you're down, it seems like you're down for a while. And uh, and you know, but um, but you're right. Baltimore is right there with Tampa. It has been all year long. Uh, really interesting team right now. And, uh, and yeah, we've talked about Cincinnati and Pittsburgh. So uh, it's happening. Yeah, the teams that were down and, uh, you know, are coming back, they're, they're alive again. And, I mean, you know, they count the Phillies in that group. Let's not forget, you know, a year ago at this time, <laughs> they, were, they were down and they've been down for a while. And uh, next thing you know, there they are in the, uh, you know, in the World Series. So uh, it's, it's, it's really good. And, yeah, I'm excited for it. And, uh it you know doesn't hurt me at all to see teams like the Cardinals down at the bottom. So uh, you know I don't mind that at all, being a Cubs fan. Mm-hmm. But uh, you're right. Um, it seems like some of the hopefully and and we didn't mention Arizona because there's another team that is that has mm-hmm. done it, has come alive. And uh, right. and I think that's good for baseball. Obviously, uh, you want these uh, these teams that have been down for a while. Um, you want the fans to be get, to be excited. I mean, I picked. A, I was watching a, a Reds game the other day. Forty six thousand fans. You know excited again about baseball in Cincinnati. It doesn't take much in Cincinnati, but um, but they got them going again, and that's great. Roger, at the same time, uh, looking at baseball up and down the line, and, and uh, the solo of utilities, as Roy just said, 
at the beginning of the year were saying, how can they do exactly what they did last year? How can the pitching be the way it is? How can the hitting be the way it is? And yet now they've won 10 games in a row and are, uh, as you said, down by a run right now in tonight's game to the Rays. But at the same time, you're getting your money's worth when you go to Citizens Bank Park. Well, absolutely. I mean, I was out there twice uh, last week, and uh, as you know, I was out there uh, the other night when they had 19 runs, and then I said, well, I was telling one of the uh, ushers, uh, it'll be 19 runs tonight, and then they'll lose by one tomorrow night, and they did. (laughs) And, And that's the thing about baseball. In my opinion, that's the one thing you can be sure about. When you have a route one night, you're going to have a close game and possibly a loss the next night. But it, it is, pardon me, it is exciting. They had 45,000 uh, out there that night. And then over the weekend with uh, the uh, the fireworks and everything, packed houses. So uh, Citizens Bank Park has come alive again, which is good to see because the atmosphere is, is just uh, terrific as we all know from uh, those days when they had, I think it was, what, 245 straight games of sellout. Well, Roy, we've seen uh, what's happened in Tampa, Florida from the very beginning. They've been competitive uh, after they first turned the corner the first time and uh, got to be competitive either the American League East or the World Series or whatever it may be. But yet still had very, very big or a lot of difficulty drawing fans. Uh, you're there now. I'm not as close to it because I'm back in New Jersey. Uh, how is the turnout now that Cash has got this team playing as well as it's playing in first place, best record in baseball? How's the fandom? Yeah, it's no better than it was. Uh, I mean, it's it's the same. You get I mean, you have nights. It's depending on the you know on who's in town. If the Yankees or Red Sox are there, or a team like the Phillies, they'll draw a pretty pretty decent crowd. Um, you know, but if it's the Blue Jays or even the Orioles, doesn't matter if the Orioles are playing well, you know, it's uh, take your pick, 18 to 13,000 or 8 to 13,000 really is, is kind of the average. And it's just, it's just disappointing. And, um, you know, it, it, look, I've said it a thousand times. We're never going to know if baseball can work in Tampa, and I think it can, or in Tampa Bay, until there's uh, an arena in Tampa, a stadium in Tampa. That's, that's what the Rays need. And, um, if they don't do that, they'll just continue to, uh, you know, draw 13,000 fans. It's, it's the atmosphere. I've never seen an atmosphere, guys, around a ballpark as dead as it is around Tropicana Field. You know, you go to a ballpark um, an hour before the game, two hours, depending on where you're going. I mean, Wrigley Field, you can be there at 9 o'clock in the morning and there's a buzz, uh, you know, for a night game. But uh, you go to Tropicana Field an hour before game time, and it's <laughs> you wonder if there's a game even going on. Um, you know, the, the crowd is usually late arriving because there's nothing to do inside the stadium. It's not a fun place to be. Uh, the atmosphere is just dead, and um, it's it's just not the team. It's unfortunate, but the team is not enough to draw people, which is kind of amazing. I mean, you know, Tampa's a melting pot. It's you know, the people from everywhere. Um, and the Rays have been around long enough to have uh, developed their own fan base, you know, people who were born and raised Rays fans. But there just aren't enough to want to go to the park and uh, and see it. Uh, TV ratings are great. they got plenty of fans. But um, it's it's not a whole lot of fun going out to the ballpark. I mean, it's, it's just not the atmosphere you want. And uh, it continues to be a problem for these guys. 
Frank tells me that uh, you're going to hang on for just a couple minutes. Brian Breesman is going to be with us. He's been with the Lightning for such a long period of time, and you covered the Lightning from day one until today. So uh, we're going to get both of you on. Brian's got a lot of uh, promotional things that are going on with the Lightning right now, but just the opposite to what you're saying uh, with the Rays themselves, uh, the Lightning have been just the opposite. People said they wouldn't make it in Tampa, and, uh, you know, they're the story of the National Hockey League over the last three or four years. So uh, you never know. You never know. Brian Breesman, we welcome you to the show once again. I know you got a lot of promotional things going on right now. You've got an owner that doesn't know anything except promote. He, he's, in the, he's in the fight every day. That's true. Good evening, boys. How are you? Good. How are you, Brian? Good to hear from you again. Good. Thanks for having me. How you doing, Brian? Roy, how are you? I'm very good, my man. Very good. How's, how's like the uh, did best in, uh... dressed? How's the best dressed <laughs> man in, uh, in Tampa Bay media doing tonight? <laughs> there you go. He's doing very well. No coat and tie tonight. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but hey, uh, congratulations on what you guys did uh, in free agency. Uh, uh, a lot of fans probably are, you know, trying to. They're going deep into the uh, routes of resources to find out who some of these players are, but. Um, you did what the Lightning do, which is pick up some really important players, guys like Luke Glendening, a, a really good face-off guy, and Connor Sheary, who's an extremely underrated goal scorer and capable of doing a lot of things. Josh Archibald's got a little jam to him. So uh, I like what you guys did. Um, how do you feel about what you did in, uh, in free agency? Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at the totality of the moves, who's in, who's out, um, Alex Swarn notwithstanding, um, if you look at kind of that, that fourth line of Pat Maroon, uh, Corey Perry, P.E. Belmar, um, and then you look at who he signed, the, the gentleman you mentioned, Sheary, Archibald, and Glenn Denning, I think you really look at, you know, what Julian tried to accomplish, and that's get faster, get a little bit more edge to our game, get a little bit more sandpaper, um, and mostly just be harder to play against and be faster. Um, you really were able to uh, to accomplish that. You know, he's still obviously losing uh, losing guys like Killer and and uh, and Big Rig uh, hurts. They're, they're obviously fan fan favorites. Um, but you know, hopefully here in the next uh, week or two, we'll have uh, uh, Tanner Janot signed as well. Um, he's a guy that you know is probably you know pound for pound a better fighter than than Pamaroon and he can skate uh, also a little more. Swiftly, I don't think Pat would even tell you that he's the best skater in the world. But um, you know, I, I think you know, considering the salary cap constraints that that we had, that Julian had to deal with, I think you know we're we're a better team today. Ryan, it still comes back to to chemistry. It comes back to chemistry and being able to put it all together. You don't have to be the best in the world, but you have to have the chemistry that uh, one person picks up the other, and you have a chance to win. Yeah, one one hundred percent. Yeah, things come have to come together and catch. No pun intended, but lightning in a bottle. Um, and the team comes together. We still have a number of players who've been to been together um, for a long time. You know, the obviously Stephen Victor. Um, you know, we still have Anthony Sorelli, Brandon Hagel, Nick Paul, Eric Chernak, Andre Vasilevsky, Nikita Kucherov, Braden Point. I mean, this is still a pretty, pretty talented team that I think any fan base would be very uh, happy, happy to have. And they're guys that obviously have been playing together for some time and have built up that chemistry 
that you can see uh, on the ice. I know uh, I've been out at development camp uh, through the weekend, um, kind of wrapped up today. But, um, you know, Nikita Kucherov and Braden Point were on the ice together already skating and um, doing some skills work. Um, so it just shows you just the kind of the, the appetite and the hunger to, to get better and, and the desire to do do what it takes to to uh, make it out of the first round uh, next year. Ryan, I'll let you get to the uh, I'll let you get to the promotion stuff that you want to get to, but I just wanted before I uh, jump off here, just wanted to get one more question into you. It, it seems to me like you know looking at the at the additions here, um, I mean this team is it's not like the Lightning needed to get better on the on the penalty kill, but. I think some of these additions, in particular Glenn Denning and, uh, and of course, Tanner Janelle being one of those guys, I mean, who you picked up late last year, these guys, I think, help you in, your, in terms of killing penalties a lot. So do you agree with that, or do you, you, uh, you think a little bit so, something else? Yeah, I mean, 100%. I, you know, you said you're not going to complain about the, uh, the PK, but I think the coaching staff would probably have complained about it at certain points uh, during the season, including the playoffs. Um, but yeah, 100%. These these guys, Archibald um, and Glenn Denning for sure, big PK guys. Uh, Sherry's obviously a guy, two-time Stanley Cup champion. He's played with uh, you know on the same line with with really top-notch players like Sidney Crosby and Alex Ovechkin. It's hard to hard to argue with those guys. Um, but he's also been a penalty killer, um, you know, third, fourth line guy. So he's he's really able to kind of Swiss Army knife and play all over the all. Over up and down the lineup. Um, so, yeah, I think kind of what I mentioned before, just having that speed and, and grit will, will make our, uh, our PK a little bit better. We certainly don't need help. Uh, certainly don't need help scoring goals. Um, we haven't had a problem scoring goals. Obviously we have a lot of uh, uh, offensive talent on our, on our roster. Um, and obviously Julian did, did a, a bunch of work here over the weekend to, uh, to address our, uh, our bottom six. That's what makes champions. All right, Brian. Good hearing from you, Brian. Take care now. I'll see you at a game soon. Okay, guys. Thanks, Roy. Okay, take care. We got Roy on for an extra ten minutes tonight, so we're, we're really making him work for his money. <laughs> anytime, anytime you can talk hockey with Roy Cummings, you're in you're in good company. Well, as you said, best dressed guy in Tampa, Florida, for a sportscaster. So. He's going to make the round, no question about it. But anyway, let's get back. Here we are talking about hockey right now. It, uh, it seems like it just ended last week. It seems like it's going to be just beginning next week. Um, these sports run so quickly over top of each other. It's so difficult to get uh, as much done as you would like to do in a short period of time. Yeah, we um, obviously we just kind of finished the draft. And as I mentioned, went got through free agency. And um, and into our uh, our kind of free agency period and our development camp, which uh, which wrapped up today. Um, so after that, uh, you know, hopefully it'll be a little bit quiet. Uh, not a ton of work for Julian Brisewell left to do here, uh, outside of signing Jano. So hopefully we'll have a little bit of time before you know it. It'll be uh, it'll be time for training camp. Roger. Hey Brian, uh, talk about uh, some of the uh, promotions that. Uh, the Lightning are going to have this year because then people, uh, not that you have any trouble uh, <laughs> selling seats, but uh, yeah. people uh, can make plans on uh, when they definitely want to come out to a game. 
Yeah, well, our whole promotional calendar is still um, still kind of in flux. We just announced the schedule. Uh, the biggest thing right now is uh, the bolts on board cruise that uh, that we're going. So you can jump on uh, Norwegian Cruise Line with uh, with the bolts. Um, you know, the great Andre Waugh was going to entertain everybody, with, uh, singing, dancing, juggling, belly belly flop contest. Who knows? Uh, Brad Lukowicz, Dave Andrzejczyk, Brian Bradley, Phil Esposito, um, and also a, a stop in uh, in Key West uh, with the Stanley Cup. So, um, kind of in on in you know in honor of the 20th anniversary of our 2004 Stanley Cup win. Um, so that's kind of the biggest thing. People can log on to TampaFreeLighting.com for more information. It's going to be really uh, it's going to be really awesome. It's portable. Um, things for adults, kids. Thunderbug will be there. Um, so it's going to be it's going to be a heck of a time on the uh, on the seas. Uh, stops in Key West, and then a private island in the, in the Bahamas, and then uh, and then comes home. When are you going to are you going to help with the juggling, Brian? <laughs> you don't want me helping with the juggling. Uh, if that Roy's not here, he could be in the speedo competition. <laughs> when does that uh, When does that cruise leave? Uh, it'll be uh, in January, uh, the uh, Martin Luther King uh, Jr. weekend. Wow! So it's going to be during the season. Yep. Well, I got the New York Post in front of me right now, and the New York Post and they have been so uh, enamored with what's happening in New York with the National Hockey League, with the Devils, with the Rangers, and so forth. And of course, now the Rangers are supposedly uh, going all out, as you're talking about right now in Tampa for the 23-24 season. Uh, Forty players are under contract, ready to go, and have spent a lot of money. Uh, so again, it's going to be some. Some battle in the East. Yeah, I mean, it, it always is, right? I mean, the, the goal is to make the playoffs and then try and make some noise, and we're going to try and do that again this season. Roger? Well, you know, the Flyers are uh, trying to uh, recoup, and I think they've really got uh, things straightened out in uh, the front office and uh, at the ownership uh, level. And it'll be great to see um, even better competition, Brian, uh, in the East overall. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, as more teams uh, uh, come up uh, to the uh, to the top rather than being at the bottom of the ladder. Yeah, I mean, if you if you look at the salary cap is designed to create parity, um, and ever since you know the salary cap was instituted coming out of the lockout uh, way back when, you know, I think you've seen you know, parity across the league. And that's only obviously continued to, uh, to grow here um, yeah, as we continue to go, um, especially, you know, the cap has been virtually flat for like the last, uh, you know, essentially six years. So, um, you know, GMs are obviously limited in what they can do. Some teams have a lot of space and they, and they use it wisely. As you uh, walk away from the camp today, uh, a lot of satisfaction within the coaching staff and the playing personnel as to what they've been able to achieve in a short period of time? Yeah, I mean, this camp this, camp this week um, is a development camp. Basically, a lot of our unsigned uh, draft picks, invitees, players who are playing, uh, you know, who have, you know, played like one or two years in the, in the minors, uh, right. either, either in Syracuse uh, in the AHL or Orlando in the ECHL. Um, you know, and then, you know, uh, Canadian junior leagues and uh, colleges, uh, U.S. colleges as well. So it's a good opportunity for them to come down here and see, 
you know, uh, what it takes to be a pro and what it takes to be a bolt. Um, you know, we have kind of a saying that, you know, he's a bolt, um, kind of fits our identity. So try and get to him early and, um, try and get them fitting into that, that team identity that, that we have as, as an organization that we ask all of our players to do. It doesn't hurt that they get to see, you know, players around, uh, you know, our NHL guys around the facility as well. You know, like I mentioned, Cooch and Braden Point and Andre Vasilevsky, Nick Paul was there today. Hayden Fleury's around uh, this summer working out. So they get to see a lot of these guys that are on the, on the lighting thing, you know, the work that they're putting in during the off season. Um, just to get better. So it can't hurt. Uh, we have a number of guys we're excited about, so we look forward to uh, September. You know, a number of the guys will come back and be invited to the prospect uh, tournament that um, that happens in September, and then they'll get invited into uh, training camp when that, when that opens up in September. Roger? Yeah, you know, Brian, talking about, uh, you know, the minors, you were talking about Orlando. Was, uh, living in Georgia, I saw a number of uh, gladiator games in Gwinnett County, yeah. and uh, a couple of times it was Orlando, and, and I was thinking about that because I went with a, a good friend of mine down there uh, to the games, and we were down there several years ago and uh, with Don and, and uh, Tom Gilbert and Frank, and uh, it was it was interesting to see um minor league uh hockey uh you know and i i i used to see it when i was a kid with the philadelphia ramblers and as uh, ray didinger said uh you know people will google who were the philadelphia ramblers but that's when i was a kid i was always a hockey fan uh but it is hockey is hockey and even at the minor league level it's exciting and especially uh when you get a big crowd out there and uh, you probably have heard that uh, in Forsyth County they have big plans to build a huge complex, uh, and that's uh, where I lived up in Forsyth, north of it, uh, of Atlanta, and they're planning okay. on building a, a brand new arena there, and hopefully uh, they'll get a, a hockey team back in in the Atlanta area. Have you heard anything about that at all? Uh, nothing officially, um, you know few things in the uh, in the media here and there speculation but nothing nothing concrete i don't know there's uh that would be the third time the nhl has has tried atlanta um and has worked the first two times but but you never know if they have the right situation it may make sense well it wasn't fan support because i was at an opening night for both those teams and saw the flames a number of times and the thrashers too but it was never fan. Roger, Roger, excuse me, excuse me, but you, you got to remember one thing: it all comes down to ownership. Vanek has oh, proven absolutely. what you can, yeah. And that's and right. they were never able to get the right type of ownership in Atlanta yeah, to make the that's right. you know to, to make the franchise a go. Well, Brian, well, thank you very, very much. We're out of time. We got a Hall of Famer on the line with us too. Ray Dinizer is in Philadelphia right now, and one of those fine broadcasters, one of the fine playwrights. I want to say at the top of the show, I did see uh, his play uh, at the Bucks County Playhouse uh, while I was up in uh, in Washington's Crossing and I had a chance in, in Newtown, New Hope. And uh, I'll tell you, if you get a chance to see it anywhere around the Philadelphia area, Tommy and me, uh, first of all, I, I talked to you after the show. And congratulations, Ray. It was a great night for me and for the family. Everybody enjoyed it tremendously. 
Well, good, Don. I'm glad that uh, I'm glad you're able to get there and uh, and experience it. I mean, you got there for the very very last performance, uh, and uh, and it was great. It was it was really it was really a terrific run. It was just about a month. Uh, we were there um, May 19th to June 17th. It was just about a month, and it was. It was really, really good uh, in in every respect. It really could not have gone better. It was, I was a little apprehensive when we started because it was a an all new production. We had a new director and an all new cast, so I wasn't quite sure how it would all come together. But it did, and uh, and it was great. And I'm I'm glad that you got a chance to get up there with your family and and see it for yourself. No, oh, I tell you, it was a really. A, a, Roger and I have talked about it many, many times. We've talked with you about it on the show, but. Unfortunately, we're either out in Hershey or someplace where I couldn't get out there. But I said I'm getting there this time, regardless of what. And it was it was worth every minute of it. It's a terrific and a very and I'll tell you the cast. I thought did an outstanding job. Uh, uh, boy, how that young fellow! I, I can't remember his name to be honest with you, but you you'll know uh, that young fellow that, uh, that played you as a little a little boy. Oh, boy, yeah. Boy, what a what a mind he has to remember all that dialogue. Yeah, yeah, Jacob Beiser. Um, he's a kid from North Jersey, um, and uh, he's a real pro. I mean, he's only ten, he's only ten years old, uh, right? And yet, and yet, he uh, he learned his portion of the script uh, faster than than any of the other guys when we were in re- when we were in rehearsal. Those that first week of rehearsal is usually a, kind of a stumbling through the script. Nobody's remembering their lines, and everybody's kind of tripping over themselves. And uh, and Jacob was. <laughs> He he had it he had it fully memorized the day he walked in the door. I mean he's he's really good. He's very comfortable on stage. He enjoys being on stage. Um, and um, I mean I don't know what he really wants to do with his life. You know what, what he wants to do, what his aspirations are. But you know if he wanted to if he wanted to be an actor, boy, uh, I have no doubt that he could be very successful. Roger, jump in. Yeah, a couple of things. Um, are you going to be uh, having the uh, performance uh, any uh, future dates uh, from during the summer at all? Uh, well, actually, we we do. We uh, we will be bringing the play to the Uptown Theater in Westchester uh, in September. Uh, we open oh, there September September the eighth, and we run through September the seventeenth. Uh, and it's uh, at a very nice theater right there, right there in downtown Westchester, right on High Street, uh, called the Uptown. And we were supposed to do the play there in 2020. We had had, all the paperwork was done and everything was set. And then, of course, the pandemic came in and and everything went away for the better part of a year. So we've been trying to reestablish doing that again. uh, And now we've finally been able to do it. So uh, we're going to be there in September. Now, when we go there in September, uh, to the Uptown, we'll be working with our original cast, the uh, the mm-hmm. cast that we first started to play with back in 2016 when we first did it uh, in Philadelphia. So the actors that were part of that and the director that was part of that, we're all coming back together again to do the show in Westchester. So if anybody has seen that group of people before uh, in those other years, that's who you'll be seeing when you come out to Westchester. So anybody's interested, if you haven't seen it or if you want to see it again, uh, get in touch with the Uptown Theater in Westchester, and we will be there in September right around the time when they, they kick off the NFL regular season. Well, that's well, perfect. Well, the people living uh, in Bucks County and in that area know the you know, Bucks County Playhouse very, very well. It's an old established theater for so many, so many years. And I think it had to be quite a tribute to you and to the show uh, that they were to seek you out uh, to put the show on the, on the stage in, in New Hope, Pennsylvania. I, 
I thought it was a great uh, a great opportunity. And what a venue for your show. It really was, Don. Uh, it really was. And when, you know, when Bucks County Playhouse reached out to us about the play, um, I was very excited because I know, you know, having grown up in this area, I mean, I know what I know what Bucks County Playhouse is. I mean, I know what it stands for. I know how long it's been around. Uh, I know the history of the place, you know, and uh, I mean, it's been in operation for years and years. Uh, it's been a launching pad for a lot of great plays that went on to great success in Broadway. And, you know, I mean, you probably saw it when you were there that night in the theater. I mean, there's lots of pictures and there's lots of posters all around the theater that just remind you of that history. I mean, the fact that, you know, Grace Kelly made her acting debut there. Uh, Robert Redford made his acting debut there. Uh, You know, there's all kinds of pictures of Dick Van Dyke and James Earl Jones and George C. Scott and, you know, all of these all of these great people. I mean, Oscar Oscar winners. Uh, that are all over the walls there showing them on the stage at Bucks County Playhouse. So, you know, the fact that, uh, that, that the people that run that theater felt that Tommy and me was worthy of that stage, was um, that was really exciting. And the fact that, you know, when we came up there um, and the, the way the audiences turned out night after night after night for a full month to see it um, and reward the actors every night with a standing ovation, was, uh, it was just wonderful. It, re- it really, really was a very exciting time. Roger? Well, I'll tell you, I expected to see it on the 17th, too, but unfortunately that's when the uh, mover uh, delivered my uh, belongings uh, back up here. But the uh, I'm looking forward to that in uh, September in uh, Westchester because I'll, t- I'll tell you, Ray, when Dan Baker and I saw it, it was the first year, and it was down there in that uh, theater with where you had the bleachers underneath the Ben Franklin Bridge. Wasn't that the Correct. first year, I think? Yeah. That was, that was so, yeah, 2016. That's, that's where we did it. We actually did it in that theater three times. We did it there when we started in 2016. Then we went back in 2017. And then they brought us back again in 2019. So we did three runs at that, uh, at that theater called Fringe Arts. And you're right. It's right under the Ben Franklin Bridge. Yeah. Um, but that's... Uh, but that was that was where we all that was where we all got started, and I never, you know, I never imagined we'd still be doing it in 2023. You know, I thought when we had that first run in 2016, I kind of thought, well, this was this was a lot of fun. You know, we got to do theater for for three weeks, and that was kind of neat. We'll just you know put this in the old scrapbook and move on. I mean, I I, I thought it was you know I kind of thought we were one and done with it, but um, but the story has just had tremendous. At tremendous legs. I mean, it's just, and people keep coming back year after year after. I can't tell you how many people during this run up at Bucks County, the one that Don came to, uh, how many people said to me, you know, oh, this is the third time I've seen it. This is the fourth time I've seen it. And um, they just love the story. They they just love the story because it's uh, it's just a, it's just a story that makes you feel good. It's a story about a little boy and his hero and how their lives came together. And uh, whether you're a football fan or not, people just really really enjoy. I really enjoy spending an evening wrapped around that story. And they love you, Roger. Ray. They love you. And let me uh, – There were. I heard you and Glenn talk about this a while ago. Any uh, a possibility that a movie will be made of it? Uh, actually, there is, uh, there is a documentary that's uh, underway even as we speak. Um, Sam Katz, uh, who has founded a really, really fine um, – 
movie-making company called uh, History Making Productions. Uh, he came to see he came to see Tommy and me the first year. He came to see it 2016, like when you did, Roger, at that at the theater in Philadelphia. Uh, and that that night, he came to me after the performance, and he said, "We're going to make a movie out of this." And um, and he's been working ever since uh, to make that happen. And of course, the pandemic kind of threw everything off track for a while. But he. Uh, but he's now uh, he's gotten the funding, he's gotten the, the people to invest in it, and um, they're now in the process of they're now in the process of making making the film. So we'll see. You know, I don't know how long it's going to take, and then once you have it made, then you've got to find a distributor, and you have to find uh, like a streaming service or a TV network that's willing to take it on. So it's it's we're. We're, it's a long process, but we're in, but, it's, but it is underway, and um, hopefully the the working title is Boys to Fame, and uh, yeah. and we'll see. I mean, it's uh, I've seen Sam's work before. He's done some wonderful documentaries. I mean, he did one a year ago about the bankruptcy of Detroit um, that won the Ken Burns Award as the best American documentary of the year. Um, wow. So they've done some great work, and I feel like the story is in very good hands. Um, I, and I can't tell you when, but I do think that it's going to uh, it, it will be out there at some point. Right. Also, I think a very interesting part of the project was that uh, it had been a while since I had been to the Bucks County Playoffs, to be honest with you. Uh, but they have done a real reconditioning uh, uh, job on the building, uh, the whole atmosphere, uh, uh, sitting outside on the veranda, all the things that went with it. Uh, they make it a real showtime experience in a small town like New Hope, Pennsylvania. They brought it right to they brought it right to the forefront. They did, they did, uh, and you know the theater was established, geez, a hundred years ago, uh, right. and and went and went along for a long time, very successful. Uh, I mean that was the whole Grace Kelly, Robert Redford, Liza Minnelli period, uh, and then it sort of fell on hard times and actually closed for a while. Uh, and there was talk about tearing it down, which would have been a tragedy. Uh, but then people in the community kind of rallied and raised some money and got some investors and saved it and rebuilt it. And, uh, well, you were there. I mean, you see what a beautiful place it is now. Uh, and, oh. um, and I've got, and I've got a really good, uh, and I've got just a wonderful season of shows lined up that, 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 that followed Tommy. I mean, we, you know, we kicked off the season, but right now <clears throat> I've got another show running called Tick, Tick, Boom which is the story of the making of, of the play Rent. Uh, and then after that, they've got a musical version, musical rendition of the, play, of the famous uh, film and book, Bridges of Madison County. And then they're doing Rocky Horror uh, later after that. And then at the end of the year, they've got a, like a six-week run of White, Irving Berlin's White Christmas. So yeah. they've got a whole season of, of a lot of different kinds of shows coming through there. But uh, New Hope is just a beautiful place with a lot to do and a lot to see. And the Bucks County Playhouse is is back to being the show place that it was always meant to be. No question about it. Right on the river, uh, great restaurants all around it. Of course, if uh, people are familiar with uh, Lambertville End, uh, I don't want to eliminate Lambertville because they've got great restaurants over there too. And it's a great little town, like not quite as uh, uh, the same type of town that that New Hope is, but it's uh, you know in the same vein and, and try to follow all the same traditions. So it's, it's great. It's, Roger, you're up. Well, I'm just going to say that, uh, as I recall growing up and, uh, you guys, uh, might be familiar with, wasn't it known as St. John Terrell, uh, Bucks County Playhouse? No, uh, that was I the think... music circus. That was the music circus. 
Oh, really? I thought that was uh, up in New. That was up on the hill. That was up on the hill in Lambertville. Oh, okay. I thought it was in uh, New Hope because I I know uh, for years we'd go up to uh, New Hope on a Saturday night and even uh, just walk around, and it was a great atmosphere. And I believe, wasn't it a husband and wife that really uh, came to uh, uh, get get the uh, playhouse back uh, the way it it is now? They were the ones that uh, led the – uh, the group, and I think it was like a lot of fundraising uh, too. Yeah, I may it, be it, wrong. it was. It was. I mean, there was a, there was a lot of talk about the repurposing the property, you know, knocking the building down, and and the people up there, they just, they just you know, they just realized it would be a tr- it would be a real tragedy to take that place away, mm-hmm. uh, and so it's you know they just put a, a lot of. They got a lot of people behind them, and they raised the money to not just restore it, but but make it better than ever. And right now, it's a it's it's really a great place. It really is, and we were we were thrilled up there. And they and they did a great job in the production. I mean, they spared no expense. It was a really first class production. I mean, when they went out to hire, they hired all new actors for this run of it, and um, they brought in Gordon Clapp, who had been, of course, had a twelve year run on NYPD Blue. Metal he came boy. in to play. Yeah, exactly. He came in to play the older Tommy McDonald. Um, they hired an actor named Carl Kensler, who's been who's on a lot of TV and even more Broadway to play me. Uh, they brought in a, a young child actor that uh, Don saw, Jacob Beiser, who was el- excellent, uh, and a very handsome young actor named William Bednar, who has done mostly Shakespeare. Uh, but they brought him in to play young Tommy McDonald, the player, uh, and it was uh, an outstanding cast and. Uh, they only had two weeks to put the whole thing together uh, before we before we opened the play, but they did a sensational job, and it's really a credit to Nick Corley, the director, who did a, you know, he was the guy that sort of mapped it out and redesigned it, and uh, really kind of brought it to life and did a tremendous job. Once again, you know, once every year we've done this, uh, Tommy McDonald's family, uh, they support it tremendously. I mean, they come back every year to see it, the four kids, the grandchildren, you know, they all come to see it, and. You know, this year, uh, his daughter, Patricia, came, uh, as she always does. She came twice. And uh, the last time she came, she said to me when she was leaving, she said, you know, you've done a wonderful thing. You've kept Dad alive for us, which, you know, I had never I had never really thought about that. But I guess the play has that kind of resonance that, you know, every year when it comes back, they can come back, and it's sort of like reliving that time in their lives when you know, their father was still alive and playing football, and it's uh, it's something that's very, very special to them. Roger, uh, we, of course, talked to Ray many, many times over the years, uh, his 40, 50 years, uh, about his, his work at the newspaper, the Bulletin, starting off on the Bulletin, and right on up into the National Football League Hall of Fame. And uh, you followed his career as I did. And uh, it, it, it's a great story. Uh, it's a great opportunity to talk to, uh, to Ray on our program every now and then when he has a little time. And I'll tell you, Ray, uh, you've you got to write another one. There you go. You know, I don't know, Don. Uh, People ask me that a lot. You know, now that this has been so successful, are you going to write another one? Well, one for one thing, I don't have another story even close to being that good. Uh, You know that that that, I mean that 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 story was that story is just so good that even I couldn't mess it up. So um, so there's that, and the other part of it is I think there's something to be said for quitting while you're ahead. So. So for that reason, so for so for that so for that reason, I probably don't think I'm going to sit down and write another play. But 
I, Oscar, I Hammerstein, like Oscar, Oscar Hammerstein never thought that when he was just yeah, left handed playoff. Yeah, nor did Eugene O'Neill, but I, I'm, I'm, I don't play in their league. Uh, but, but, I, but, but, I, but I always knew. I, I mean, I always knew the story of Tommy and me. Um, um, you know, starting when I was a ten-year-old kid, getting his autograph the first time, and then. Um, just from that grew this amazing relationship that just went on for 40 years and ended up with you know him asking me to be his presenter at the Hall of Fame. It's just such a it's just such an unusual and such a, a you know a, a wonderful story of uh, of what what you know the relationship of, between fans and their heroes you know and and what it can turn into in, in so many unexpected ways. I just said, wow, this is a great story. I mean, it really is a great story. And whether, you, as I said before, if you, you, know, you don't even have to be a sports fan to kind of identify with what a great story it is. So that was why I decided to write it. But the idea of sitting down and trying to write another one, I, I kind of think I'm probably not going to do that. Listen, with you know, Tommy and me might might still be running for another. We, you know, we've got eight years in. We might have another eight years to go. Roger, you know, let, let, let me just reintroduce be, Ray. Ray did enjoy our we, special guest this segment. Is, uh, Ray, we always appreciate you coming. Go ahead, Roger. Uh, let you pick it up from there. Yeah, I just wanted to say it's ironic, Ray. Uh, when I was uh, moving and I was cleaning out the bookshelf, I found the uh, program uh, from uh, Tommy's installation at the Hall of Fame that he autographed for me on the, on oh. the cover. And uh, on that cover, I believe Anthony Munoz went in in that uh, in that year, didn't he? With Tommy, Anthony did. It was a fi- it was a five man class, and it was Tommy, Anthony, Mike Singletary, Dwight Stevenson, the great center from the Dolphins, and Paul Krause, the safety from the Minnesota Vikings. It was a five man class and a, and a great one. Right, right, before we really let you go, last question. Uh, give us an idea of uh, where you see the National Football League right now. Where where do you see the Philadelphia Eagles at twenty three twenty four? Uh, well, they're going to be a really good team again. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be a challenge trying to get back to the Super Bowl, just because that's the way these things work. I mean, if you know, the last fifty-six, fifty-six previous years, you've had fifty-six Super Bowl losers, and only eight of them made it back to the game the next year. I mean, it's it's just hard to do. But they're but they are a really good team. Um, the I think their offense is going to be dynamic. I think I think they're going to score a ton of points. Uh, they need a little work defensively. You know, they've lost a couple key defensive players. They've lost the defensive coordinator. Um, uh, and so I think the first half of the year, they're going to be kind of figuring out what they want to do defensively. But uh, I think over the course of the year, they're, I think they're once again going to prove to be the class of the NFC East. I would expect them to win the division. We haven't had a division. We haven't had a, a, one team repeat as NFC East champs. Since the Andy Reid team of 0304, it's been it's it's been hard to do, but I think these guys are good enough to do it. And then, you know, then you get into the postseason and you just take your chances. But uh, you know, I think Jalen Hurts is certainly no fluke. I think he's going to come back and be really good again. Um, and with those and with the people they're going to put around them, you know, I would fully expect the Eagles to be playing you know playing well into January and hopefully into February. Well, when you looked out your window in your apartment in Philadelphia, you see Chuck Van Derrick <laughs> making that last tackle 
<laughs> I can see I can see it from my window. We have we have a That's what I'm saying. I, I know you're right there. You told me you looked out the window yeah. and there's Chuck Federer right there, big number sixty, right on top of Taylor. He's, he's still laying. He's still laying right on top of Jim Taylor. Even now, <laughs> we'll never forget that. Let me tell you, anybody right, who's right. that game. Yep. Ray, thank you so very very much as always and. Uh, Hope you'll get a little time down the road and rejoin us again, not only to talk about Tommy and me, not only to talk about uh, New Hope in the theaters and all the things that are happening in that particular area, but also your future productions. Thank you very, very much. Always a Thanks pleasure so to be much, with you, Roger, Roger, I'll look for you in Westchester. I'll be there. I'll, act, okay, I'll you definitely be there. Okay. You take care, guys. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Mike Zimzak's up next, White Dad in Baltimore, and... Uh, uh, Mike had a, a family loss uh, two weeks ago, and uh, we haven't really had a chance to uh, give the program sympathies over to Mike, uh, but we're going to bring him in first of all. Mike Dimzak, uh, normally our soccer expert from all around the world, and a lot of soccer going on right now, but Mike, you want to do a little, uh, a little tribute to your uncle? Uh, well, even before I do that, um, Don, how are you feeling? I don't feel good. I never feel bad. I don't have bad days. I only have good days. <laughs> um, never had yeah, a bad day. Nice for us, Mike. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, uh, yeah, my uncle Ken uh, passed uh, last uh, two weeks ago. Um, we the funeral was last Wednesday. He was the last of five brothers. Um, Ken was. Uh, deacon for the Archdiocese of Washington for uh, 20-some-odd years. Uh, mm. He was uh, counsel for Washington Metro uh, Transit Authority, and uh, he, he was the head of la- um, the labor and personnel for Montgomery County College. Um, very sorry to see him go. Great individual. I mean, one of the most sarcastic individuals that you could have ever met in your entire life and uh he loved his dc sports he was a um diehard commanders fan uh maryland uh wizards capitals even though he was born in muskogee oklahoma and raised in uh berkeley california when he came to this area he, he loved his uh dc sports so uh, we're sorry to see him go. We had a great time knowing him. He had a very career, Mike. Yeah, yeah. You know, he did. Uh, after he got out of the army in Korea, uh, he 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 was a he went finished law school at Rutgers, and then became in-house counsel for uh, Metro. Did that for about fifteen years, and then went to. Uh, um, Montgomery County College did that for about uh, 15 years, retired, and then became uh, in charge of the installation for deacons in Archdiocese of Washington. And he did that uh, uh, for about seven years. I can remember going down to the uh, Archdiocese of Washington office uh, to talk to him, and he had an office and everything. I felt like I was a Big stuff going in and talking to Uncle Ken when he was there. <laughs> How old was he, Mike? Uh, he was in his late 70s. Late 70s. Oh, young okay. guy. Young guy. 
you know, there was uh, 22 years in between him and my grandfather. Uh, he, he was the youngest of five brothers, uh, and they all did amazing stuff. Well, well they, some, you know, of, some they, of the old timers were capable of doing all those things. That's yeah, right. yeah. So we're 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 sorry to see him go. It, it really does for my family and an era. But again, we're sorry to see you go. But we are really really glad that we had that time that we had together because it made an impact right. on all of us. Right. And mm-hmm. so we're going to well, look let's, at the right let's side. Let's move over. Let's move over your forte now because. There's ever a time for soccer to be in the news 24 hours a day. It's right now. I mean, you you turn these games on on the weekend. They got four and five games on at one time. Uh, they got MLS going. They got everything going at the same time. Uh, some of your thoughts. Which direction you want to start with the with the? Uh, well, let let, let uh, let's it, talk about the U.S. men's national team. Uh, okay. They are competing with the U.S. men's national team is competing with ostensibly a B team in the Gold Cup. Uh, what was that? They were 8 nothing win they had two days ago? Well, they've had back-to-back 6 nothing wins. The 6, uh, I thought it was beat, 8. Yeah, they beat uh, St. Vincent's and Grenadines 6 nothing, and then a couple of days later, uh, in fact, this Sunday, last Sunday, they beat Trinidad and Tobago 6 nothing. Uh, so they will go on and they'll play Canada uh, in the quarterfinals on uh, next Sunday, uh, the 9th, at 7.30 p.m. It'll be a good test for them. Uh, I would have liked them to have brought more of an A-team with them, but they said, like, we're going to go out and – uh, give some of the French players, the B-team players, a try. Now, um, Jesus Ferreira, what can I say about him? I believe he is the first U.S. men's national team player to have back-to-back hat-tricks. And not only did he have back-to-back hat-tricks, he had back-to-back hat-tricks in the first half. Um, he... I hate to say, it, but he 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 just scores some boatloads against island countries. Uh, so, what we should have done is started him against England and Wales in the World Cup instead of leaving him late to to play against Iran, because if it's an island nation, he'll score a, you know, a hat trick and uh, you'll be great. But the back six nil um, wins. They're going up against the Canadian B squad uh, on Sunday. Uh, and it'll be fun to, to see how they do. I, I want them to go on and win this. Uh, as an aside, a little bit bummed, uh, both Martinique and Guadalupe, two teams that are not actual national teams because they're both French overseas territories, so they are not FIFA members, but both of them had the opportunity to make it to the quarterfinals of the Gold Cup and neither one of them was able to do it. But uh, it was awesome for, I guess, teams that don't really actually exist. Roger? Yeah, the, the uh, Mike, uh, getting back to the uh, MLS, uh, 
Yes, or uh, Saturday night, the Atlanta uh, United uh, beat the uh, Union 2 nothing, And mm-hmm. that game was on uh, Fox. And in addition to Apple TV, and uh, this was on in Canada on the sports network, too. Uh, but uh, the other thing is, it was an interesting story that just came out today. You probably saw it. And that's about uh, the United uh, getting, uh, like, uh, a total of 400000 in um, what they call a general allocation money. Uh, and it's in segments because uh, they uh, got they sent uh, Andrew Gutman to the Colorado Rapids. And I find that really interesting how all this financial uh, business occurs. And, uh, you know, maybe you can explain that a little bit. I mean, I'm starting to understand it as, uh, as time goes by, but I know you're really on top of it. Roger, if you're starting to understand that, please educate me. Because I've been going through this for 10 years, and it makes as much sense to me as Chinese arithmetic. I, like, cannot figure out this general allocation money versus targeted allocation money versus designated players versus non-designated players versus all this stuff. Like, I really don't understand how they do that. What I do know is, like, general allocation money allows you to offset hypothetically um, a certain amount of contract money. But the other thing is I could be completely wrong about this. No, Uh, that's the way I understand it, Mike, the way you do. um, You know, but I could also be completely wrong about that. What I do know is that MLS has made – player acquisition and player salary and the salary cap management as intentionally opaque as they can do it because it gives them the ability to do some of these deals like we're seeing with Lionel Messi and Sergio Busquets and potentially Sergio Ramos all going to enter Miami and they can figure out some justification for how they can fit all of those players under salary cap. I really don't know. Um, Andrew Gutman was a guy that we thought was going to be an up-and-coming player. I think that he suffered from a lot of, he was not as good uh, at 18 as he was at 16. And sometimes that happens. You know, that you bring a kid up and he has to play and he just doesn't adjust as well. So hopefully he can move on and get a, a, a chance to start, get a chance to play, get a chance to, keep, to get minutes, and just hopefully get his career back on track. Uh, I was tracking him when he played for the Charleston Battery, and we thought, like, this is a future uh, young national team player, and he just kind of plateaued. So uh, we'll see how it goes, but I think a change of scenery will be really, really good for that kid. Mike, let me ask you this. Uh, You know, you look around over the weekend, and uh, I've watched a lot of TV over the weekend, 
there's so, so many sir. games on. What's you know? What kind of ratings? What type of uh, is, are they getting a real strong TV viewership on all these stations with all these games? Um, it, 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 it's hard to say because, as you said, there was so much going on this weekend. What I can say is USA and Trinidad on Sunday did a really good number for them. Um, Attendance-wise, uh, the MLS game in between uh, LA Galaxy and LAFC uh, on Sunday was or, or, was the most attended game in MLS history at 82,000. They played it at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. Um, so, you know, whether the ratings, whether the physical bodies, whatever you're looking at, um, you look at it a number of ways. When I look at it, what I see is uh, it's becoming more and more popular in the U.S., and okay. soccer, is, uh, soccer is here, MLS is here, the U.S. men's national team, they're all here. They're here, they're staying. The, the concept has been proven. And I think even more so, we're going to see it at the end of July and through August when the U.S. women play. Because they're, the U.S. women are going for an unprecedented I don't care whether this is male, female, um, platypus. Uh, nobody has won three consecutive World Cup titles, and that's what the U.S. women's national team is going to try and do this time around. And I think those ratings, as they go through this, are going to be bananas. Do you think they'll be successful? Um, I think that people will come out and watch as for whether or not the U.S. women's national team will be successful. Uh, I think it's going to be really, really hard. Uh, this is not the team of four years ago, and it doggone sure ain't the team of, uh, of eight years ago. Um, they've got a lot of new players, a lot of young players, a new coach who has never actually coached in a World Cup. Uh, I And, you know, just percentages tell you the odds are against them on doing this. Uh, do I think that they're going to give it the good college try? Do I think that they're going to make a statement while they're there? Yeah. But if you ask me to pick right now, U.S. Women's National Team versus the field, I'd probably take the field because I think that's a safer bet. But, again, I would not be at all surprised if the U.S. women win another one. And, again, it would be an unprecedented accomplishment for them to win three in a row. Roger? Yeah, Mike, uh, just to follow up with Don's question, uh, I was in a restaurant uh, 
uh, yesterday um, uh, with my son for dinner because his family's down at the shore. And um, in there, the Phillies game was on, and there were two different soccer games on. And that uh, was, was it. one the Canada were... and one Guatemala. Yeah, I think so. And and uh, but I found it very interesting that uh, with the, the Phillies game was only on one screen, and then the other two big screens were both different soccer games. So that has to, that tells me that there's definitely a viewing interest when you have a restaurant, you know, what uh, t- twenty miles. Uh, from Citizens Bank Park, and uh, you only got one Phillies game on, and they were, you know, playing very well, and uh, uh, they um, they beat uh, uh, Zach Eflin, and, uh, you know, just a really good game. So and that tells me that soccer really is getting viewership. Have you seen uh, any uh, ratings numbers at all for uh, the MLS in particular? No, I haven't seen anything, and it's hard to get ratings numbers because so many games Apple are on. TV. Yeah, Apple TV. Yeah, that was, that was my point, uh, Mike. I, I just I find it hard to believe with all the games that are on. It's, it seems to me it would be so difficult to uh, come up with some kind of an, an honest-to-gosh rating. I don't know that you can get it, but what they can do is start to tell you about um, subscribers and stuff like that. But, Roger, I would tell you um, – if it was what I think it was, which was uh, Guatemala and Guadalupe uh, in that game uh, yesterday, I was watching that. I'll tell you, that game had everything other than a platypus running across the field. I mean, that <laughs> game was absolutely epic, right down to the final minute and Guadalupe having a penalty that would have put them through to the quarterfinals that was saved. Uh, Every time one team got ahead, the other team came back. That, if you are bored and want to see what soccer can be, look at that game, Guatemala and Guadalupe, July 4th, and then some of the, the goals that Guadalupe has scored over the over the last couple of games. They're absolutely amazing. And the funny thing is, they are not a FIFA member. It's a French overseas territory. So they're not allowed to compete in the World Cup or anything like that. All the best players from Guadalupe go to the French national team or one of the other French-speaking nations so that they were even able to be in this tournament for as long as they were was flipping amazing. I loved every minute of watching them play. It was amazing. You're you're a big underdog fan. Uh, I mean, I would have loved um, – Martinique, who is another one of those French overseas territories colonies, not a FIFA member, beat El Salvador. Both Martinique and Guadalupe were in it until the very, very end. I was hoping that one or both of them could make it through because they, the odds on them being able to compete in 
a tournament, even against Mexico, the United States, and Canada's B squads. But to be able to get through, considering like their best players don't play for those small, tiny island nations. Like last time I checked, um, the mosquitoes have to take off sideways from Guadalupe <laughs> because the landing strip isn't big enough. I mean, we're talking about the smallest, tiniest speck of an island in the Caribbean. And they cobbled together a team that took down, uh, that drew with Canada and almost took down Guatemala. Like, come on. Credit where credit is due. That's amazing. Roger? Well, it, it is. I mean, when you describe that, and uh, uh, but uh, the it, that must. I mean, I I saw the game on TV, but I wasn't paying any attention to it because my son and I were uh, having conversation. But uh, I'm sure it, it it got the ratings. But you're right. I mean, when when it's on Apple TV, it's very difficult to uh, to get ratings. And, uh, of course that Saturday game with, uh, Atlanta and the union that was on uh, Fox, as I recall, cause I did, uh, uh, see some of that. Yeah. And, and it's good when they can have it on an over the uh, air network on the weekends. Cause I think that'll, uh, uh really, uh, help uh, to draw people. But that, uh, that, that crowd you talked about 82,000 at the uh, Rose bowl. That is very impressive. Well, the only way that you are going to break it is break that is either you do another game at the Rose Bowl, um, or Nashville plays at uh, Neyland in uh, in Knoxville because there are very few soccer stadiums, and MetLife is not one of them that can accommodate over. 85,000 fans. There mm. just aren't a lot of stadiums in the U.S. that where you could do that. So it'll be interesting to see how they get clever to beat that. Now, um, gentlemen, I'm going to change tracks because I know Doug is coming up in a couple of minutes. But I do want to take it down to some of the news that's going on in this DMV area. We know that we now have an NFL meeting scheduled for, I believe, July 20th, which will confirm uh, Joshua Harris as the new owner of the Washington football team, Commanders, Redskins, Commanders, football team of football. Well, that will be interesting. Owner of the Sixers, owner of the uh, Devils, and now the Commanders. Uh, uh, yeah, so he'll have the Sixers, he'll have the Devils, he'll have Crystal Palace. It'll all be a, a, a thing, Roger. But honestly, um, I remember listening about, what was it, eight, ten years ago when uh, Andy Reid got let go from the Eagles and got hired by the Chiefs and listening to Philly talk radio and they had the reporters from Kansas City. Kansas City had finished with three wins the year before, and they were saying, like, we had three wins last year. If you're giving us right now uh, five AFC championship games in 15 years, 12, 15 years, we'll take it. Um, mm-hmm. 
you and I may understand from watching the Sixers and dealing with them, you know, what the limitations are. But when you compare them to who Daniel Snyder was, uh, the Commanders fans down here are excited. And they have right to be because Mm -hmm. a lot of the drama that you've been dealing with over the last 25 years, that's going by the wayside. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, a new era, you know, and it'll get the fans excited like they used to be in the Redskins' glory days. But the other thing is now, um, Joshua Harris has said, like, we want X amount of dollars from D.C. to build a a stadium on the site of the old RFK. Right. And the uh, Monumental Sports, who owns uh, the Capitals and the Wizards and will soon own the Nationals, has said, hey, look, we've been here for the last 20-some-odd years. Uh, Our facility, Capital One Arena, is one of the oldest in the business. I mean, Capital One Arena opened at the same time basically as uh, the Wells Fargo Center. And they're saying, you know, we want money to renovate, and uh, we've been here. We've been loyal soldiers. Why can't you give us money and to upgrade our facility before you deal with them? Thank you. And so it'll be really interesting to see how the city of D.C. handles that. I do believe that they need to prioritize um, Capital One because, gentlemen, y'all both been down to the uh, Chinatown area in D.C., prior to Capital One Center being opened. And if you haven't been down since, two totally different areas. And if you don't have that arena down there that has probably 100 guaranteed events a year plus, um, yeah, I'd love having a football stadium there, but that – basketball, hockey arena, and the baseball stadium are doing way more for the city right now than it would be to invest in a football stadium out even where RFK was. Well, we'll leave it right there for this week. Mike, thanks once again. A lot of soccer news. Uh, Once again, our condolences to the family. Uh, We'll get together next week and start all over again. Have a great um, week, Mike. I will do. Don, take care of yourself. Uh, Frankie, I hope that your wife does well and y'all be good. I'll talk to you later. Okay. Take care, Jake. Simplify to your whole family, Mike. Doug Hamilton, our PGA professional, who joins us week in and week out uh, <laughs> talking about the world of golf uh, along with uh, many, many other topics, uh, the Ravens, the Baltimore Orioles. And uh, I, with a heavy heart, I bring Doug on tonight because I rooted so hard over the weekend for the Orioles. I watched them throw a couple of games away that really just I couldn't believe the way they threw those games away, Doug. Well, look, um, first and foremost, you know, Don, uh, between you and and Frank, um, you know, we got a lot of hip breakage going on here. And, uh, you know, I want to 
obviously throw that out there and, and make sure you guys are okay and, and Miss Sharon's okay and, and everything's good. And, you know, um, we were just having everybody's coming. Everybody's coming along. We're going to, we're going to keep on marching straight forward. And well, I appreciate that, man. You're a trooper um, for being on the show. And I was, I was wondering if Frank has in his, his uh, archives, how many years that I've been actually on the show. I'd be curious to know the answer to that question. Cause I was trying to remember, you know, this got started, you know, calling in randomly because I had played Oakmont Country Club and it was during football season and you guys asked me to make my football picks and then you said, hey, come on next week and we'll do it again. And then here we are. I don't know how many years later, but I'd be curious to know how many years. Six years. Been. I got six it right years? Here. Six years. Mm-hmm. Okay. Fair enough. I actually thought yep. it was, was yep. more than that. Seemingly it was more than that. But, um, well, you're, yeah. you're working I mean, on the seventh year right now. Yeah. Okay. It's it's been tremendous. Um, you know, it's been a big part of uh, you know my life in terms of looking forward to every Wednesday and and some of the things that uh, you guys say and do and and those things that I've picked up on over the years and, and the nuances of how you you know ask questions and diverted and 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 you know for all the the listeners there's no script here there's we're all, we're not all in the same room so this is you know ad lib. We're all over the country, my boy. We're all over the country. Well. But at the same time, you know, it's not like you guys sent me or anybody else that's a guest an itinerary of what questions you're going to ask. So I have no earthly idea when I come on here. So, right. you know, it's really cool for me to be able to, you know, think through um, on the spot the questions you ask and to come up with, you know, legit answers and, and those sorts of things. Um, so it's been it's been a really cool part of my development uh, over the years, and I appreciate that. And thank you guys for, for doing that. So, um Question you ask, uh, watching the Orioles. Right now, uh, it's it's pretty painful to be an Oriole fan for me, losing six of their last 17 and, and going back even further uh, in their last 34 games, they're 16 and 18. So, um, you know, as much as they were finding ways to win early in, in the season in April and May, they're, they're now, to your point, Don, finding ways to lose, um, you know, moving forward, whether it's, you know, getting beat one to nothing by the Twins, um, you know, having their bullpen hand over a lead or imploding, uh, having Kyle Gibson, uh, you know, pitch terribly. Um, you know, he he inevitably has at least one really awful inning where he throws a lot of pitches and gives up some runs, um, giving the team too many outs from errors. I mean, all these just little small things that have added up to this point and, it's been a big topic here uh, in the Baltimore area. As you know, I listen to 105.7 The Fan uh, in the Baltimore area quite a bit in my travels and, and on the road and, and throughout my day. And I don't know that anybody's ready to hit the panic button yet um, in terms of the Orioles. I mean, they're still the third best team in the AL, and, and I believe that they're still resting on the laurels that they've created from early in the season. But um, to me, it's an interesting time to be an Oriole fan because I think you're seeing – Mike Elias um, hit some buttons here that I think are indicative of where the Orioles currently are, which is to say, you know, Jordan Westberg got called up um, looking for an infusion of, of some of their young talent. Today we see Colton Kowser get called up, who um, was the number five overall draft pick for them in 2020, I think it was, um, but also a top 20, you know, pipeline pick in terms of the major league you know, prospects. He was one for three tonight so far with, with an RBI and I think a run scored. So I think he's, Michael Elias is looking at 
some of these guys coming down the pipeline and figuring out what he has on his team before we get to the trade deadline to figure out what do we need. And, you know, for me, I think there's a lot of clutter on the major league roster when it comes to, you know, Jorge Mateo, who, God bless you, I know, Dad, you're listening, and, and you love Mark Belanger hitting a buck 80 being a, a shortstop for them during their heyday and Gold Glover. But Jorge Mateo, for me, is, is not a part of our future, and he needs to be either a pinch runner, uh, defensive replacement, or he needs to be traded um, because they have too many middle infielders that are coming. I mean, Jackson Holiday is the number one overall prospect, I think, in all of baseball, and he's going to be an Oriole within two years. So I think the timeline for Mateo is, is pretty short. Um, as they get closer to the trade deadline, I think you're going to see uh, some of their moves being made to hopefully not get rid of their, their young prospects, but to get rid of major league talent in terms of Cole Irvin, Ryan McKenna, Jorge Mateo, maybe it's Adam Frazier, maybe it's Aaron Hicks, maybe it's a lot of these guys. Hopefully we can move some of those non-future type, you know, guys to, to keep our prospects, but we'll see what happens uh, as we get closer. Roger. Well, a couple things. Uh, uh, number one, the uh, Phillies are up over the uh, Rays. Eight to and uh, Tequan uh, Walker got off to a slow start and not all, not necessarily his fault. There was an error, and that allowed uh, the first two uh, runs or uh, two of the runs in. So uh, they really, uh, Phillies have come around. They really have a lot of hitting tonight, and he pitched uh, terrific um, and did like 100 pitches, and he went uh, uh, through seven innings. So that was really encouraging. But uh, you know what, Doug? Every team has, during a season, some peaks and valleys. And I just mm-hmm. think the Orioles are going to recover. Uh, I, I think they're a fun team when I've watched them. Yeah. Uh, hopefully uh, now that I'm up here, make that run down uh, 95 sure. and go to see a game. I love going to park to see the mm-hmm. them at, um, uh, you know, at Camden Yard. So, you know, I, well, the, uh, we've seen it with every team, uh, ups and downs, uh, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I think a lot will uh, it will show the surface. Will, sure. or the cream will come to the top after uh, the All-Star game. Well, I, th- I think it's a much-needed All-Star break for, you know, not just the Orioles, but baseball in general. And it's mm-hmm. a pretty, fran- pretty frantic pace that they, you know, put out there with, with uh, games that they play in succession. Um, with limited off days and you've got, you know, injuries and nagging different things. And, and, you know, for me being a baseball fan, I, I really, really, really enjoy watching the Orioles play. And it's, it's extremely frustrating. I mean, in our household the other night when uh, the shortstop for the Yankees hit that three, it was three to three after Frazier hit the two run homer and that shortstop for the Yankees, which I can't, I can't stand the Yankees. I can't stand um, the stupid music they play when, when someone strikes out, the announcers, New York in general, I just can't stand any of it. And that guy hit a three-run homer. I turned the TV off, and I chucked the remote across the room on the on the sofa, and my wife looked at me and said, okay, I guess we're going to bed now. And I was like, I said a few choice words and said, yep. I just, it's so frustrating for me. Like, even being a sports fan, like, just, like watching the Ravens, you know, it's the same concept for me, you know, in terms of how invested I am in 
you know, them winning. And you got to understand, I mean, to be in this Baltimore area and to be an Oriole fan, I mean, the last, as opposed to last year, but the previous five before that were really, really awful years to watch baseball. I mean, I, I, I mean, they, they played a, uh, it was a rain delay the, the one night, and they played the Orioles Classic. And, you know, they had Hanser Alberto, and they had, you know, just different people that played, you know, Pat Velika. You know, they had Oriole players that were just, like, filling out the roster that when you watch the game, you're like, you know, who the blank is that guy? And, you know, why am I watching this? So now you look at these, this transformation uh, uh, since then where you, where you have, you know, there were – five guys in the starting lineup for the Orioles tonight that were drafted in homegrown talent. And there's roughly, I mean, Hayes didn't play and Mountcastle's on a rehab assignment. If you put those two guys in there, that's seven of the nine that are homegrown talent. I mean, how many, how many teams can say, you know, that they have that in their starting lineup within the era of free agency that we have, you know, currently where teams with the biggest checkbooks win, you know? So that's pretty cool. No, that's that's the plan that every every general manager and every uh, organization wants. They want to be able to look back and say, "Look, yeah. seven of these players came up through our system, through our scouts, sure. through our development program, through our everything." And uh, well, and you I, know, I'll you, tell you this: you know, there, there's there's going to be a point in time when you're going to see a nine of nine for the Orioles because when when Grayson Rodriguez pitches and you get Hayes and Mountcastle back, and maybe they call up Joey Ortiz or somebody. I mean, you're, you're going to have a nine-of-nine nine number. There's, that, that's, that's a fact. That will happen. Well, I'm going to jump out, fellas. Well, you guys finish off the show, and uh, they just came in to, to give me a little some uh, treatment, and uh, I'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks very much, Doug. Right. Thanks for your, for your sure kind thing, words, Doug. and we'll talk to you next week. Nighty-night. <laughs> included the pitcher the uh they had well nola okay etc uh mm-hmm. they the phillies mm-hmm. had five out of nine uh that mm-hmm. were uh, homegrown the entire infield yeah. and a pitcher and uh i mean you know the, and, and there was a time uh when uh, when marshan was brought up that you would have had uh including a pitcher six because mm-hmm. uh you know he's been hurt this year but he's back at the triple a but he was brought up last year to play some. So, yeah, sure. yeah, I'm with you. I'm, I like to see homegrown players that you can follow. And of course, in the old days when you had minor leagues that started at the D ball and then C mm-hmm. and then, uh, you know, right up the line, sure. uh, it's a lot different than today when you have, like, uh, a total of four minor league teams. Sure. Well, you know, the other thing is, and I, I was having this conversation earlier with my wife and I was sitting in the game, and I said, you know, you look at the Orioles roster and you have, you know, like I say, you have a little bit of clutter there because you've got, you know, a couple guys that, that probably aren't a part of their future, you know, and they know it, we know it, and, and management knows it. But then you look at their AAA squad and you've got guys that are, you know, developing and, and they're pounding on the door from AAA to get to the major leagues. But guess what? You've got guys in single A you know, short season single A that are trying to get to, to, you know, long season A ball. You've got guys in long season A ball trying to get to double A. You've got guys in double A trying to get to triple A. And that's, we're not talking about, you know, prospects, quote unquote, that, that are at one specific level. The Orioles have guys at every single level that are looking to make the next advancement. And, 
you know, you look at a guy like Colton Kowser who just, you know, made his way into the major leagues tonight. Well, guess what? You've got Heston Kerstad, who 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 was the number two overall pick for the Orioles in, in 20 or 21, I forget which year. He's He's been promoted to AAA, so he's going to be knocking on the door, you know. So then you've got, you know, like I said, you've got Jackson Holiday, who's in high A ball looking to get to double A. You've got, you know, a shortstop they just promoted that, that, that went to AAA. You've got, you know what I mean? You, it's it's there. You've got a pipeline of people that's from top to bottom that are looking to make that next jump. And you've got a good problem to have, but but still a problem nonetheless that says you've got too many players for not enough positions, which means, you know, if, if, if you're not, you know, if you're a marginal talent, it, we're going to have to do something else with you. And I'm not sure as we get to the trade deadline, you know, what that means. You know, you look at the Orioles uh, infield and you've got Ramon Urias, who doesn't really play on the regular, who was a gold glove winner at third base last year. You know, you, you've got uh, Adam Frazier, who's got, he he uh, had another base hit. He's got 40-couple RBI. I mean, you know, he's not a part of their future. Like I said, Mateo's not a part of their future. So Hicks isn't a part of their future. You've, you've got a lot of these decisions that you have to make. I mean, when Ryan Mountcastle comes back from his uh, stint uh, in rehab here, he had um, vertigo for, for quite some time here. And I sounds awful, you know, in terms of equilibrium. But, you know, when he gets himself back together, they're going to have to make a roster move. And somebody who's a decent you know, baseball players going to be either released or traded or something. So it'll be interesting to see what happens here. Well, it will. There's no doubt about it. And uh, I think that as we talked about uh, earlier tonight with uh, Roy Cummings and um, the, the, the teams that were having problems uh, and the smaller markets, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, uh, mm-hmm. and, re- and, you know, Bo- and Baltimore, but not that it's a real small market, but smaller. Yeah. They, uh, they were having problems the last few years, and now they're playing very well, especially uh, Cincinnati's a uh, real fun team to watch. They're good, sure. and they've got a lot of young ball players, and that's what the Orioles well, have. And like you said, they're, they're, they're coming up from uh, the minor leagues, and that's the way the Cardinals were for sure. years. Okay, but now the Cardinals are having some rough times. Well, the the interesting portion uh, of this trade deadline is no no one truly knows where anyone stands because you have a lot of these watered down divisions where you know you look at the uh, the Twins in the AL Central who are basically playing 500 baseball who are in first place, which means what the teams that are beyond uh, behind them who are playing less than 500 baseball still have a chance to win the division. So who's truly a buyer? Who's truly a seller? And I think that's, you know, when that picture becomes a little more evident, um, you know, at whatever point in time that is nearing or, or beyond, you know, thereabouts the trade deadline, like you mentioned, I mean, w- the, the, the St. Louis Cardinals aren't a very good baseball team right now, but, but they have no. Arenado. They've got Arenado and they've got Goldschmidt time for St. Louis to say, you know, let's trade these guys for everything we're worth and start all over. Um, you know, you, you you look at some of these teams that, you know, I mean, you, you know, even look at the look at the um, look at the Padres. The Padres have a lot of question marks. Um, they have an awful lot of money wrapped up in their payroll between Machado and Tatis. You know, they probably have a contract looming with with uh, Soto. Uh, they have a lot of you know uh, aging guys in terms of. 
Uh, they just DFA'd uh, Nelson Cruz, who's 43, still playing baseball. They have, you know, one of the best closers in, in the game and Josh Hader. I mean, are, are they going to, you know, be sellers or buyers? That's what we need to figure out. And that was one of the conversations that, you know, Mike Elias was having, um, as I heard it, with that picture becoming clearer with who actually is a buyer and who actually is a seller. And the Orioles, in his opinion, Mike Elias mentioned himself, have identified themselves as a buyer. Um, but what that costs, you know, I don't know. I mean, the White Sox, they're not a very good baseball team. Is is Dylan Cease available? Is, you know, uh, Michael Kopech available? Is Tim Anderson available? Um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. How about Shane Bieber? You know, is he available um, from the from the Guardians? You know, what, what's that central division, you know, going to look like when you talk? I mean, you know, if I'm the Orioles, I need, I need one – more power arm in my bullpen at least, and then we'll see what happens from there. Well, and we'll see uh, what happens at the trading deadline. Yeah, you're right. I sure. Mean, there's been Huge. some talk about Goldschmidt uh, going to the Phillies because they do need a bat. Right. Uh, and right. they got Derek Hall Good back point. off the uh, injured list. But uh, yep. like tonight, I mean, I saw so many instances, well, I mean, two or three in succession, they left the bases loaded, and then they left men at second and third. And I saw it over the weekend, mm-hmm. not so much last night. But uh, you you got to have a clutch hitter uh, to drive in those yeah. runs because as you go uh, now, uh, you know, for after the All Star game, I mean, you the, every I mean every to me every game in 162 is important. But they really, yeah. you know baseball people look after the all-star game when you start making your run they're even more important well i think one in april can be as as important as one in september to be honest with you yeah do you you see the orioles making a move to get any uh anybody in particular where there's a lot of uh, talk in baltimore um not necessarily, you know, pointed towards, you know, any player. I think, you know, as I mentioned, you've got guys like Anthony Santander is, is polarizing uh, for me because, you know, I think he's the biggest trade chip that the Orioles could possess. He's he's eventually going to come up on a contract year, and I don't think the Orioles are willing to pay him when they have a lot of young players that are going to, you know, take his spot. If you traded Santander to the right person who needed a, a power hitting, you know, switch hitting uh, outfielder, what does that tell you? Yeah. Doug, we got to uh, we got to wrap it up for this week. Uh, appreciate it as well, always. Sure. Uh, Mike Simzak uh, was on. Want to thank Ray Dinger, uh, Brian Breesman, Roy Cummings, uh, and yep. uh, as usual, Frank Carroll, executive producer. Uh, the man behind all this, and uh, we pray for uh, Sharon in her recovery, Don's recovery, and uh, Frank, take care. God bless. Have a great week, you, Doug, everybody. Thank you, Roger. Yes, sir. Thank you, Roger. Thank you, Doug, for being on. You're a good man, and I did recalculate your seven and a half years going on eight. Well, there you go. When's my pension kick in? What are we talking, 10 years? Uh, You got it, Doug. (laughs) <laughs> 39 years and counting. <laughs> it was worth it. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week. Grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces and the men and women of the Police and Fire Services. 
When you're out there and see somebody in uniform, please acknowledge them. Let them know you know they're there. Not everybody in uniform is a bad guy. We all try to do the best that we possibly can. Um, these programs are dedicated to those who've lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman David, <coughs> excuse me, uh, <coughs> Jeffrey Colcap, <coughs> Patrolman Jeffrey Yazza, Sergeant Thomas Bainger, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Henler, Sergeant Tom Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman Charlie Condit, Tarpon Springs Police Department, Deputy Chief Mike Gosling, Philadelphia Fire Department, Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department, Sergeant Charles Levake, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department, Stone and Offer Christmas Lakeland PD, Lieutenant Joe Zerbin, Newcastle County Police, Patrolman Josh Myers, Patrol Deputy Josh Myers, Pennsylvania County Sheriff's Department, Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department, Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Artis Hope, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department, Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol, Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol, Chief Alvo, along with Pete Police, Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department, Deputy Mike Hargrove, Pinellas County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Blaine Lane, Polk County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Chris Myers, Polk County Sheriff's Department, and Sergeant Christopher Fitzgerald, Philadelphia Sheriff's Department, and Temple University Police Department. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10-7 at this point in time, at some time we'll be 10-10 ta- at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the rose rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your face, and the sunshine light on the rains fall softly in your fields, and the sunshine lightly in your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your family always in the palm of His hands. Good night. God bless. Have a great weekend.
County just passed in 1999. County just passed in 1999. County just passed in 1999. All units be advised, 1999 is responded to his last emergency. May God bless his soul and all the souls of the faithful departed. And they rest in peace. Amen. Good night, Bobby. We love you and we miss you.